0: Welcome to Temple Talks, a new podcast from Temple Israel in Minneapolis, where Jewish wisdom meets our ever-changing world. Join us as we talk with our favorite partners and thought leaders from around town and around the world.
1: We hope these talks will inspire you, challenge you, and give us all new ideas about Judaism, religious life, and social justice. I'm with Julie Dean who is a member of our Jewish community here in the Twin Cities and has various roles at various congregations and other uh, community groups leading specifically Musar in the Twin Cities. Um, And we'll get into a definition of Musar, but but Jewish character trait building. And Julie also focuses on uh, other forms of Jewish spirituality, including uh, music and women's groups, and is just a great member of our larger community. But like I said, we're going to focus on Musar, Um, and I wanted to have this conversation with you, Julie, both because I and we and our temple listeners, I think, could really benefit from diving into Musar as we build towards the High Holy Days, and also because once the High Holy Days end, there's going to be lots of Musar offerings in the Twin Cities, and so we can give a preview of that as well. So, Julie, welcome to Temple Talks.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much, Rabbi Moss, for having me. It's been a pleasure to get to know you more in this whole process uh, and also to get more connected with Temple Israel in this process. And I'm thrilled with the way that the clergy and the congregants have been embracing this pathway of Musar and really getting on this wave that is becoming so popular and um, and really bringing a great deal of healing and connection to our modern Jewish
1: communities. The wave has hit me, but I'm sure for some of our listeners, the wave has not yet hit them, or at least they don't know it. So could you give us just a, a basic introduction to what is Musar?
0: Absolutely. So it's no secret that character has become a huge topic of conversation in this country. How are we living? What are our values? How do we treat one another? And uh, character has become a very important topic about how we're choosing to show up and be in the world. In the Jewish world, we used to refer to it as being a mensch. You know, it's as simple as that. Am I living my values? And Musar is a Jewish spiritual pathway that comes out of 19th century Eastern Europe. And it's the idea that at a certain point in our lives, we can wake up and make choices about how we are in the world. For a while, I'm reacting to the influences of how I grew up, um, and I cultivate certain character traits based on my experiences. And then I reach a certain point of introspection where I can go, are those responses to the world really serving me and others as well as they could? And through a practice of learning, introspection, and creating small doable changes, I can make adjustments in how I respond to the world around me that ultimately serves myself and serves the world to a a greater degree. In essence, it's the ever-evolving practice of becoming a mensch.
1: The ever-evolving practice of becoming a mensch. That's a beautiful summary. I'm currently in a class with uh, that julie's leading of others who myself and others who are being trained to be facilitators and we've been um learning one of the main modes of musar practice which is through the vad, through a a a group a facilitated group conversation and practice around musar Um, and so that's been my biggest introduction into into this world and so julie could you there's different frameworks we're gonna offer in just a moment, just a a way one can personally practice Musar in the month of Elul specifically. But before we get there, um, what is kind of the standard way that a vad serves to be a seminal structure of Musar practice?
0: Sure. So within Musar, there's the opportunity to be part of a vad, which is a small group of maybe 10 to 12 people, can be as small as six people. Um, and we meet in small groups, whether on Zoom or in person, and we pick a certain character trait, like let's take patients, for example, and we look at it through a Jewish lens and we look at it through our own lives. And we talk about where does that midah or character trait show up in what is referred to sometimes as my soul curriculum. So my life has all kinds of experiences that take place and I can learn from those experiences. Um, And so in the VOD, we'll take one character trait. I used patience for example, but there could be generosity or compassion, anger, um, honor, there's so many of them. And we'll look at them and we'll discuss them and we'll figure out where that is playing out in my day-to-day life where could I make a small change? And for me, it might be becoming a little more patient. And how might I go about doing that? And so what would be a small doable step for making that happen? And what happens is that we find out a few things. One, being human is messy business. It is, none of, none, we don't have a master's course in how to show up and be a good person. So we're all doing the best we can. Judaism tells us, that each and every one of us is a holy soul. So we hold these two ideas together. We're not fixing something that's bad or broken in ourselves, but we're consciously working on our evolving development as people. And there's good humor in that when we do it together as a group. And then also when I study with other people, I gain from their insights. And so we co-teach one another. We say that everyone is a teacher and a learner in a Musar group. And so that's how a small group or a VOD works. Um, People also can do Midot study. If I want to learn more about the Midah of patience, I can look up different Jewish sources that talk about patience. And I'll just say one thing I really like about that Midah in particular is that when I look at the Hebrew root for that, it's Saval, which means a porter or someone that carries a heavy load and normally i think of patience as staying very calm but in a jewish context it's actually about hanging in there when things are difficult and so there's a lot of wisdom to be gained from our tradition and the way that our forebearers looked at these character traits and then we bring that into a modern context into how it's impacting our everyday lives
1: beautiful and i think That framework, whether in a group or or individually, is really helpful in this month of Elul that has just begun. And if you're listening, uh, you'll probably catch this during the month of Elul, which is a preparatory pathway towards the High Holy Days. And I think people often approach the Days of Atonement with kind of a natural tendency is to view it as a self-flagellation, not physical usually in the Jewish community, but often it gets kind of dark and heavy-handed in our own minds, or at least it has in in mine in certain years, as we think about wrongdoings of this past year, sins, we'll see language of sins or missing the mark throughout the high holy days. Um, But I think that Musar, which says, Every month, any month, we should be in the practice of reaching for a greater good and a greater self-development. I think that can be a very constructive lens to bring into, into Elul. So either with Savlanut or if there's another uh, Midah or Midot that you think could f- fact could, we could help frame Elul with, what, what's on your mind in, in terms of a Musar practice for this time of year?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I take heart that in the Mishkan, there were the broken tablets and the unbroken tablets, which tells me that all of the places that I might feel might be flawed or broken in myself, they get to be included. They're part of who I am. And through a Musar lens, those are opportunities where I can grow. So to beat myself up for it, first of all, I'm not surprised I have room to grow, (laughs) I'm still here. And one of the Musar masters says that Musar is the work of a lifetime, which is why we're given a lifetime in which to do it. So every time that I find an opportunity where I can grow, where I can become a little bit better person, I'm happy about it actually, I mean, I'm humble, I'm not always thrilled that that I've missed the mark, Um, but it's okay because it's an opportunity where I can create change. And so I think the first piece that I would say in coming into Alul, is to approach life from the stance of hitlamdut, which comes from the root word in Hebrew meaning to learn, and it's a reflexive form. So it means how I can teach myself based on my life experiences. So there's no point in looking back and just as you said, like feeling horrible about what's happened, So, yes, it's important to have regret, remorse, and that can sometimes be a catalyst for change. And it's really important that I ask myself, what can I learn from that? What are some of the things that came up for me in the last year? And if I really spend time with them, really looking at what can I learn from that? What can I learn about how I responded or how I handled that situation? And I might even find a pattern. And then I go, so what's, I can excavate it a little deeper. Well, what's at the, what's underneath that? And, um, and to do that with some compassion in one hand, that I'm human and I'm going to make mistakes and accountability in the other. That, look, I do have to own what happened and I need to go make repairs where I can and, um, and then commit to some small doable changes so I think we can take a lesson from rocketry if we think about how a tiny small adjustment in where a rocket is launched has a huge impact on its trajectory and where it lands. So sometimes I myself, and, and I think in our culture in general, we might think we need to make huge changes and create a whole list. I've created huge lists of New Year's resolutions I'm really not setting myself up for success as much as I could be if I look at what is a very doable, conscious choice that I can set myself up for success, that I can do this with a little reminder every day. And in that way, I can start changing the
1: outcomes
0: that have a much bigger impact.
1: In in one of our sessions in, in in your class, we were talking about question asking and developing our internal muscle of asking questions and, and how do we relate to question asking and, and one of the um, phrases for myself that I was able to distill in that study was that I that I and this is my own practice might not relate to others, but in my own practice, uh, I wanted to start asking more questions that I would feel vulnerable to be asked in return. To ask more questions that i'd feel vulnerable to be asked in return and by taking the time to to distill what was my sole curriculum around question asking i've now had that phrase in my pocket ever since and and there's times where to introduce another musar phrase a point uh, which is a moment where you notice that you have a choice to behave the way you would have tended to all your life or, or in recent patterns, or to apply some level of midah teaching or midah growth in that moment. And so I've noticed these different moments where I could apply this. And I was actually hosting a Shabbat dinner uh, just this past weekend. And I noticed that the, I felt like the conversation was a little surfacey, And also that one person at the table was not part of it. And, and our most recent midah that we studied was bitachon, which, um, trust a kind of, a kind of big trust could be trust in God or trust in one's faculties or a big sort of trust. And I, and so I asked a, a question of the group in terms of what, what do they really feel that they have trust in? Um, and what is trust, how does, where do they have a strength related to trust? And it did really deepen the conversation at the table, but it, and I was proud of myself for accessing that Bahira point of question asking from an earlier Mida. And, um, and it did bring me into a vulnerable space with a group of newer friends. So that was all great. And then I ran into a little bit of a place where I'm still growing and understanding Musar, which is how does Musar differ uh from therapy or group therapy where i felt like we were maybe
0: i know what you're going yeah, actually sure. i know where okay. you're going with that um i think i think and so a couple thoughts first of all there's certain content in musar that it's the foundation of modern psychology and we even have had facilitators who are psychologists that bring it into their practice because some of these fundamentals about being and introspection are a part of are a part of um, looking at ourselves and how we want to be in the world and creating positive change. Um, that being said, we make it really clear that a Musar group is not therapy and that we don't give advice or problem solve. What we're really doing together is exploring this mystery and adventure of being both holy souls and holy flawed human beings, that we have this work of a lifetime in which we can grow and learn. And so we're approaching it each from our own Soul curriculum, reach talk about, we use the I pronoun in a VOD, and I'll share my own experiences, but it's really up to me to bring in that hitlam Dut that I need to learn from my own experiences. And when I have the privilege to get to listen to someone else share about their experiences, I get to learn from them too. Um, we also work in Hevruta, and so I'll study with a partner outside of the VOD, where we'll read a piece together, and we're more we're all exploring the mysteries of life together. And so in those ways, it's really different, um, than any kind of personal therapy. And I'd say another huge piece is we're not changing for the sake of ourselves. We're really doing this to help make the world a better place. Some people will say that it is a pathway of tikkun ha a repair of the heart or of the spirit, um, of our being as a pathway toward tikkun olam and even in social justice circles now there's a whole movement of people who are doing musar work in order to be more effective advocates and activists in social justice because for example another trait we look at is humility am i taking up the right amount of space in a given situation sometimes in activism We need to step back make more room for people whose voices might be silenced we want to help encourage and create spaces and places to be able to hear from all people and then there's a time to step up and step forward and step speak out for things that um, need to be addressed in our society so by looking at the trait of humility not only can I look at it that through the lens of being an activist, but I can also look through that, look at that through the lens of being a parent. Mm-hmm. You know, I noticed as my kids got older, the less I spoke, the more they would talk, you know, and sometimes the more I would speak, the less they would talk. And my goal was to hear from them and to create spaces for them to express their voice and be heard and respected. So what's so exciting is about this practice is that it's very much relates to how I connect with the world around me. Am I living in alignment with my values? And how do my actions and behaviors impact the world around me? None of us lives in neutral. We all have an impact. So -hmm. the question is what kind of impact do I want to have? And even in small things like the Midav Kavod, one of the practices is greeting people with a smile and it makes a difference. You never know what a difference something small like just giving someone a smile and honoring their presence can make in a person's day.
1: Yeah, I've I've noticed in these daily practices where everyone in the Musar group finds their own daily practice, one that really will relate to their own self um, in terms of you know giving kavod with a with a greeting or whatnot. And I may have told you this before, but. Um, A rabbi once told me of another rabbi who put their whole soul into every handshake and everyone who walked away from this, from first meeting this rabbi and getting that very first handshake with them. They all kind of noticed this. It was a handshake, handshake, like none other. And that this rabbi had kind of practiced how to be the most present and warm and giving and receiving just through this simple mode of a handshake, which most of us do completely automatically. Some of us do it kind of awkwardly, but this rabbi noticed it could be a place to, to develop and to to kind of have a, a signature moment of connection in their own life. Um, so I've loved this aspect of, of, of a daily practice. Um, would you call, Would you call those um, a Kabbalah in in the Musar practice? And could you explain Kabbalah and a daily phrase, which I think have been two of the main aspects of home practice?
0: Yeah, sure. So we study the Midah, or the character trait, in the Vod. We'll do a reading. There's a huge, originally Musar was a genre of Jewish literature. So there is a great deal of text out there that is considered Musar literature, which talks about how to be. And frankly, when people started looking into Torah and finding in Leviticus that we are holy, people said, well, what does that mean? And there were some questions that came up in the 19th century that helped really be a catalyst for this movement was, okay, we can study Torah, we can do mitzvot, but what's the quality of heart with which we do them? Like you said, I can greet people with a handshake, but what's my level of presence? So what's my kavanah or my intention. And so in order to help make this a daily practice, because it's just like if I want to build a muscle, I need to work it out. I need to exercise it a little bit every day. Uh, I can't just want it. <laughs> I wish that sometimes that could be true, but I can't just want it. I actually have to take action. So the action part is a call to Kabbalah. And uh, we do that in several ways. So one is a daily phrase. For example, with the Midah of Kavod, which we mentioned before about giving honor to people, one of the phrases might be, each and every one a holy soul. And I might put that phrase literally on my bathroom mirror on a little card, and I see it when I wake up and I say it out loud, or I put it as a reminder on my phone, or people put it as a screensaver, or they put it somewhere where they they will see that. It could be the idea of B'Tselem Elohim, that each and every one of us is made in the image of God. And that's a reminder. So that then when I am out and about, let's take that same example and do something like cashier practice, which could be my Kabbalah, which would be my actual world. That anytime I'm interacting with a cashier that I actually pause and recognize their depth as a person and their depth as a holy soul. What does that mean? That there's a spark within them. And, you know, for each person to find their own language, sometimes I'll say a spark of goodliness or a spark of godliness, but it's taking a moment to elevate them in my own eyes and then to treat them that way with some kindness, with a smile. And if I do this for every day for a couple weeks, it does make an impact. And we can even look into the field of um, neuroplasticity that the neurons that fire together wire together. So this is an incredible way to bring in, we can look at it through science, we can look at it through psychology, and we can look at it through our Jewish tradition and in practice to help create these small opportunities for change within ourselves that help us be better people and help us impact the world in a better way.
1: Julie, how has your exploration of musar intertwined with the the rest of your Jewish life with your celebration of holidays or with your engagement with synagogue ritual, prayer has it how yeah, how has how musar informed the rest of your Jewish life?
0: Yeah, well, I see it everywhere now. I see it in the prayer books. There's so much language around me dote. And it's really if someone is listening who particularly is interested in prayer, to look at all of the prayers and go, well, what are the characteristics that are being talked about in the prayer? What's the, the underlying meaning of these words that I'm saying? And certainly in our High Holy Day prayer books, There's so much about character traits. I mean, this is really the time of the year when the Jewish world is very focused on how are we being, looking backward and looking forward. So certainly I see it in the prayers. I have, and then all my interactions in the Jewish community on Zoom or in person, it's all Musar practice. It's all grist for the Musar mill. You know, when I walk into an Oneg and I notice that there's certain people I gravitate toward and certain people I don't, I have a Bahira point. I have a choice right there to go, oh, what what's going on there, Julie? And what, it, what would it take in me to go the, in the other direction? What about gravitating towards someone I don't know? Or what about gravitating towards someone who's not talking to anyone right now and making more room in my life for other people. And in that way, they're helping me, they're teaching me how to practice kavod. And then I have the opportunity to do that and grow in that way. So I see it in prayer, I see it in my activities in the Jewish world, whether online or in person. Um, I see it in texts and all the readings that I do. And it also brings Judaism into my everyday life. Because these me not are what I carry with me all the time. So it's the lens through which I see life. No matter what's happening, I can learn from it.
1: I'm just beginning to learn to surf the, the Musar wave. But you've been on uh, that surfboard for a while. Um, how, did, how did you come to find Musar? And also, I think you have an interesting perspective on on what the movement and development of Musar in America has been and and how it speaks to the history of Musar and and a new present um, in practicing it. So could you speak to that as well?
0: Yeah, I'll probably need a little reminder halfway through.
1: <laughs> it's, it's a big question.
0: So uh, when I was a kid, Growing up, I realized that there were certain external factors I had no control over, so I was very interested in how I could change the way I was responding to situations in order to help them be better. And so I I got very focused as a kid on positive ways of being and looking at how could I how could I handle the same situations in a little different way and hopefully try to impact the outcome so that it would be a better. So that was already in me, and I found it so interesting um, the way that each person can impact the, uh, their responses. That idea that 90% of life is um, how you react, 10% is what happens, and 90% is how you respond to what happens. So then when I found this pathway in Judaism that said, yeah, look at all these different options to you in any given moment. And instead of reacting, which is on one side of a Bahira point, what's my habit and my conditioning, to go, and what are my choices? So, for example, if someone cuts me off on the highway, maybe I would have had a habituated response at one time of getting pretty frustrated with them. But then I wake up to that moment and I go, well, what's another choice I could have? Well, I could actually think about what's the best reason I can come up with why they cut me off and then wish them well on their journey. I certainly have cut people off by accident. And so I can, it changes my own experience of that moment.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so that's a very powerful uh, aptitude that we each have. That we can shift how we respond to a situation and create a different outcome. Um, and then when I got interested in it in, in a Jewish context, I was thrilled to find rich Jewish concepts that reinforced this and a huge vocabulary of Hebrew and English words that describe the inner life that connect me to the whole human family, because we all share this universal experience of being human and trying to figure out how to do life. Mm -hmm. And then finding that this has been something that our wisdom tradition of Judaism has been studying for thousands of years is incredibly rich. And then there was a part two of that question. So yeah. can you remind me of that?
1: The part two was um, something you've spoken about, about um, in the history of Musar, of the specific Musar movement and kind of the, how the bridge was a bit cut off coming to, from Europe to America because of the events of the 20th century. And then kind of what, what's growing in Musar today.
0: Yeah. So this 19th century Eastern European movement that was thriving was destroyed in the Holocaust. The teachers, students, the yeshivas were destroyed. And as folks are aware, Judaism went through quite a, a crisis of identity and connection and spirituality that is now returning very strongly. I mean, it's been returning and we've been on a trajectory of growing and strengthening, and that combined in our own Jewish tradition with the modern movement toward living more consciously. I mean, mindfulness is now a very common term in the United States. There's yoga classes all over the place teaching about mindfulness and breath work, and um, and in leadership groups talking about character development, and even in summer camps talking about character development, how we want to be as people. And so I see this as an incredible tikkun, an incredible healing and repair of bringing forth all of these rich teachings around being that we almost lost. They're now coming back, and we need more people writing about this. So if there's any writers out there listening, we really do need an infusion of modern voices talking about character development through a Jewish lens. Um, And I think that's why now we're also seeing this really take off in Reform Judaism and and in Judaism's other movements as well, because it's directly relevant. It's practical to our lives. Every day we we wake up, and there's a day full of choices ahead of us for how we want to be. And um, it's also an incredible way to unite our Jewish community, because I have studied Musar with Reform, conservative, Orthodox, Reconstructionist, Renewal, Atheist Jews, there, it's, there's a place where we can all connect because this is really universal language on how we show up and how we walk our walk.
1: Yeah. And, and I know that the opportunities for studying Musar have been growing in the Twin Cities. Um, and you, you've led a lot of groups at different synagogues, but now with this facilitators training that I'm a part of, um, you're helping to expand number of groups that can be offered in the twin cities so for those listening um at temple israel we're going to have four i think the number is four uh four five musar groups at temple israel um i'll be hosting one specifically for for peers in their 20s and 30s but then we have other great facilitators who have um who've led some groups in the past or are going to be embarking on their first as well and you can find more information as we enter into the fall um, at Temple Israel's uh, website. Um, and those groups are going to be in this VOD structure of 8 to 12 participants. So if you're interested, definitely reach out uh, as soon as you can to uh, ensure a spot for you in those groups. And we're going to be studying different midot. where there's actually a couple curriculums that will be out there. Um, Julie, do you want to introduce what what the difference between the groups is going to be in terms of curriculum?
0: Absolutely. So you're leading a group of 20s and 30s, which will be fantastic. And
1: we're calling um, it the Musar Soul Cycle. No, no bicycle, just the cycle of developing (laughs) our soul.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And (laughs) then um, Barbara Furman will be leading a few different Musar groups. Ruth Hornstein will also be leading a Musar group and Andrea Singer. And the groups will be looking at different middot. Um, some of them will be going through a curriculum that meets about 10 or 12 times looking at, a, it's a really nice introduction to Musar and you'll get practice in a variety of different midot, and also in cultivating your own home practice. And it's just a beautiful way to build deepening connections with people and with yourself and also also in your spiritual life. Uh, And then several of the groups will be looking at the Torah portion each week and drawing a midot, uh, a midah from that, drawing out a character trait that connects directly with the Torah portion. And you don't have to have previous experience in studying Torah, but it's amazing how we find these character traits throughout Torah and um, either way you do it you'll be getting some exposure to really interesting relevant jewish texts as well as connecting more deeply with the community
1: beautiful and i know we're in a period of uncertainty in terms of COVID and how we gather but uh, julie has really modeled how well musar can be adapted to to zoom space as well the, the breakout rooms are really great for sending off mini groups and then bringing us all together without shuffling around a room or hearing each other's conversations. So um, w- whatever it ends up looking like, we we want to invite our listeners to participate. Um, and, and I'm really... You know, Rabbi yeah. Moss, I just wanted
0: to mention, you talked about how at this dinner gathering recently, you asked a, a really meaningful question and that people appreciated that. And I just want to say that, especially during this time where we're not sure how we're going to be able to stay connected with one another. We certainly know we can do it on Zoom. And what I've heard over and over again is that the meaningful conversations that we get to have in a Musarvad, which is a confidential space as well, is so helpful to staying connected, to feeling that interpersonal human connection in a meaningful way.
1: Yeah, I've experienced that and I've heard um, from our peers who are running groups, how that's really been a, a really important system of getting through, uh, this challenging time. And so, yeah, thank you for adding that.
0: Yeah. None of us has a blueprint for how to do this, <laughs> this time of transitioning and, and working within the pandemic, just like none of us have a blueprint for life in general. And so by being in a vad we can come together and help one another navigate these times. I also want to say it's not for everyone. And so for those who are not interested in it, um, one of my favorite Musar teachings says you can be a perfectly good Jew without it, and I think that that's great. Everyone's got to find their own pathways for making Judaism relevant and meaningful in their lives. And if Musar appeals to you, then I highly encourage you to check it out. And if it doesn't, then I know you'll find meaningful pathways in whatever you pursue.
1: (laughs) Yes. And let's say I'm a middle ground person. I want to study Musar, but I don't want to be in the group conversational setting. It doesn't work in my schedule or I'm just more of a uh, an on your own learner. Uh, What can you could you point towards an online resource or a book resource that could help someone uh, study Musar on their own?
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's a few organizations that are online that provide groups or individualized learning. So I encourage folks to take a look at the Musar Institute website, and also the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, and the Center for Contemporary Musar. Those are three websites that also offer courses in online learning. And if you want to check things out through a social action kind of lens, you can also look at Um, A website, it's called Iowa Inside Out Wisdom in Action. Say that one more time. It's Inside Out Wisdom in Action. And
1: the short name is Iowa. That sounds really interesting. Um, As always, as we begin to wrap up this conversation, I invite our listeners to, to email me tmoss at templeisrael.com if you have any comments or questions or if you have a particular question for Julie I can pass it along and we can engage our community in this in this important pathway of, of development both in this period leading up to the High Holidays and then in this in this important 5782 that we're going to all embark on with all of its unknowns but all of its all of its behira points to come, all the moments we're gonna have in this next year to, to make choices about how we, how we live our lives. Um, I really wanna thank you, Julie, for, for being an instigator and a catalyst uh, for, for Musar in the Twin Cities and getting a lot of people to, to begin to learn and join together in this movement. And thank you for, for being a teacher of mine. Really appreciate you joining Temple Talks, so thank you.
0: Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to continuing my work with and participation with the Temple Israel family. And I wish everyone a Shana tova.
1: Shana Tovah.